Timothy B. here, and uh, welcome to the Broken Wings Podcast. Uh, my guest today is uh, Michael M., who I like to call Eminem. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, see him at lots of meetings. Um, shared a room with him for a while. Um, so, m- welcome, Michael M. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> All right. I actually kind of had a shitty day at work, but uh, oh, yeah, I'm trying to trying to get over it. Well, well, you know, I'm glad you you um that you're being here on the podcast. You know, it's yeah. a, I always like to get you know somebody uh, a younger person's view. Um, but you're kind of in the middle now, huh? And I'm 12 years old. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're what? You're 30, You just turned 30. Yeah, right? I'm 30. Okay. Um, so, could you just could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What what got you into recovery? What keeps you in recovery? Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just skip to the juicy bits. Um, I smoked weed for the first time when I was 15 and, um, I felt like I basically invented getting fucked up, you know, like it was, it was my own thing. Like nobody else had truly felt the way that I felt, you know, using before. And I remember, I remember a very, um, interesting thing happened to me. i which is, which is funny because you know coming into recovery, I realized that a lot of people feel kind of the same way, but I I wanted to spend my life intoxicated. You know there wasn't you know from the very beginning, yeah. I didn't have like one of those slow starts or whatever. I remember very quickly after smoking weed for the first time, I became that kid that other people were, my friends included were concerned about um they always saw me like getting pretty bad i was always the one who was getting too drunk too whatever and um you know so i still finished high school um academically uh very uh, your refrigerators made a weird sound (laughs) um i did really well in high school and uh i got into a college and um my my dad I mean maybe it wasn't just my dad maybe it was everybody that I grew up with but they always kind of like I I was under the impression that I needed to go to college to like be able to be successful to get a job to do well in the uh professional um in, in the professional world yeah yeah you and, um, I, I very quickly dropped out of college mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I had been seeing some girl while I was, um, I went to school up at St. Mary's University and went down to Minnesota and I was seeing a girl, she was going to school in, um, in Milwaukee and, um, I thought we were going to be together for forever. Yeah. And... I think when she saw me drop out of college and come back home with my tail between my legs and probably a little bit before then she you know she wasn't going to be with me and that devastated me and um I started using heroin I was 18 years old and wow um, she uh, young huh yeah I was I didn't you know now that I look back at it 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 seems it seems so bizarre that I would ever put myself in that situation 
Um, you, you know, you start off sniff, sniffing it, and then no, I was shooting right it away. right off the bat. The oh. First time I ever did it, I wow. was I was in some kid's basement. And I got tied off with a Nintendo sixty four controller cord, oh, wow. and uh, I was I was already it was New Year's Eve, and uh, I was already on acid, and me and my buddy were just. We had we knew a friend or we knew some kid who did heroin and um, we called him and he wanted to I think he was excited about introducing us to it or something else like that and yeah it was one of those things it's like it's not a very functional drug especially when you first start doing it like you can't go out and do stuff mm-hmm. or like and that was that was a lot of the a lot of the drugs I like to do or whatever like you know just smoking weed or taking acid or whatever um they're all they're all things that kind of like enhanced doing other stuff you know I still was like pretty active pretty you know did wild shit all the time then I was introduced to heroin and um you know very quickly after that benzos and those were those were drugs that kind of made it okay to do a whole lot of nothing and then kind of just like began this um this i don't know this weird uh roller coaster of um i would get really bad into something i would call my parent i would call my parents kind of have a come to jesus moment and say like hey i've been doing all this stuff like i would get them real scared because like you know all of a sudden i was i just dropped out of college and then a couple months later i was telling my mom that i was on heroin and i needed to go to treatment so i would go to treatment i would you know this time i went to treatment i got out i was living at a halfway house in illinois which is where i'm from um and uh i i just got bored i was like there for a couple of weeks i was at some friend's house going swimming because they had a pool in their backyard obviously i would hope so i was swimming (laughs) and uh there was like a bottle of like valium or some shit on their kitchen counter and i just grabbed a bunch of them and you know started using that for a couple of days and then um and then i i was I don't even know what happened really because I got real spun out, but I, somebody came and picked me up. I ended up going and starting to use heroin again. This was only like two weeks after treatment. Yeah. And, um, I immediately went back to treatment and then like, you know, would get out, relapse, go back to treatment. And then I finally, after a couple of times, I ended up moving up to Minnesota and, um, I got sober there and I think I stayed sober maybe a year, maybe like a little over that. I was, I was living in St. Paul. Um, I was staying at a, at a Hazelden run, um, halfway house okay. up there and I stayed there for a few months and then, um, I got kicked out of there for behavioral reasons. I think I like... I think I put a bunch of cream cheese on a bagel and then I threw the bagel up on the ceiling and it stuck because the cream cheese kind of acted like a like an adhesive <laughs> and I got it to stick to the ceiling and um, we had a big old group about that and I think it was pretty apparent that I didn't give a fuck 
And yeah. it was like an impatient thing. It was, I mean, it was a halfway house. Uh, so, like, I would still, it was been a couple of months. I was there, few, like, I think I was there for, like, five or six months. I never really got a job. I think I had had, like, I think I, you know, gotten a couple of jobs and then just never went to them or other stuff like that. I don't, you know, this is, this is 12 years ago. Like, it's kind of hard to get all that shit straight. So this was all going on when you were 18. Yeah, you know, I'd gone, I'd already been to treatment and gotten out and, um, you know, I've just been trying it. This is, you know, the time that I had gotten exposed to the program of AA. Okay. um, Before then, you know, when I was 15 or 16, I ran away from home and I ended up going to a wilderness program in uh, Utah for a summer, basically. And... It never really helped me get sober or whatever. I think it taught me that I could I would, how to be self reliant or or something like that. Is I was always I always felt like I was smarter than or more able than the next guy, and um, you know now in my life I've realized all, that a lot of those things are you know I'm got a lot of shortcomings, you know, and I've, I've really like, and it's not to discount my triumphs because I, you know, I feel like, I feel like there have been a, quite a few. I take, you know, I take, a, I take a lot of response. My dad was telling me the other day, he said, um, you know, you, you take a lot of responsibility for all the good things that have happened in your life. You also take a lot of responsibility for all the bad things that happen in your life, but like, Sometimes, sometimes I discount the the amount of chance that was involved as well. I, you know, I that sometimes good things happen to people and sometimes bad things happen to people. Maybe I shouldn't internalize it as much. Um, but you know, so um, I got, you know, I I came back from Minnesota. Um, I wasn't even twenty one yet. I um, I wasn't drinking or or whatever, using drugs, but um, it happened pretty quickly after after I'd gotten home. That you know that I I went in there for heroin and like I wasn't gonna do heroin anymore. So like, you know. I, turning 21 I was probably going to miss out on meeting girls or any of that kind of shit so I decided to start drinking again and um you know I very quickly after I turned 21 got my first DUI and then after that I got my second DUI it took me like six months in between them and um you know I think there's a I think one of the things that um, really, really retarded my whole, like, ability to, um, grow up, or whatever, it was the fact that my father was an attorney, and he spent a lot of resources, um, trying to keep me from experiencing the consequences of my actions, so, you know, my first DUI I had, um, I ended up only losing my license for like 14 days and like it wasn't a big deal. My second DUI, um, 
happened when I was 23 and I still haven't had my driver's license and that's seven years later oh, yeah. um, it, 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 I don't know you know there was I spent six and a half years on probation from that I kept on getting you know petitions to revoke my probation and um, I had a my judge had a bleeding heart he didn't he had lost a daughter to an, an overdose and uh, he he really wanted to see me do well you know so he kind of gave me a chance and chance and I would go to jail and then I would get out you know to go to treatment or something else what but, were they getting you because of the drug test on probation yeah drug test um not showing up to probation you know I was always working and um, so even with you knew there were consequences you yeah just couldn't stop using oh yeah yeah I mean couldn't stop using couldn't couldn't be moved to really care yeah and this isn't to say that, like, um, this isn't to say that I, that things really ever got that bad, um, cause, well, I don't know, there's always been, there's been periods in my life, especially from the age of, like, you know, 21 till now, where... Uh, drinking has gotten a lot worse and then it gets better and like it usually gets worse with times of like going through breakups or um, you know with not having work or or whatever you know I, I'm, I'm kind of like feels weird being removed from from all of that uh, this long because because I'm I'm removed from all the pain, you know, I, that I caused in my past. And sometimes it's hard to remember exactly what got me to come in to treatment this last time. And yeah, yeah it's, you know, um I, you should, don't feel bad you you know, I remind me a lot of myself because I because I kept doing stupid stuff knowing the consequences and even after consequences like homelessness and prison, I still drank. I still thought that I could do it. Or I just didn't really care, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so um, you finally, this last time, you decided to come to Georgia. Yeah. How, how did that come about? It doesn't really matter, but... Um, so I, uh, I was, I was living with a girl and, um, you know, we were, we're both using. She had a few herniated discs and um, pain pills. She was always on pain pills, and I was always getting prescriptions. You know, we we both drank a lot, but like took prescription painkillers and Adderall and Xanax and all this shit. And we were no good for each other. But uh, I read, I picked up a bunch of barbiturates from my friend, and. Um, he gave me like 40 or 50 of them. I can't remember how many. I don't remember anything of those four days, but I went through like all of the pills and I remember like, you know, in bits and pieces and, you know, this weird blur, but I remember her telling me that if I took 
any more of those pills, she was going to be done with me. And I took some more of those pills, and she was done with me. And she called my parents and said, you got to come get Michael. You know, he's he's all fucked up on this shit. She was probably scared, uh, not only for me, but for herself, and I don't blame her. Um, and so I ended up in the hospital. Um, you know, I took just... I was on a bunch of drugs, like, the entire time. Uh, you know, like, I, I couldn't even tell you all the shit that I was on, like, at once. But, um... I moved out of there. I was staying with my mom for a little bit. And, you know, just seeing her and... Living with her and her boyfriend, even for a couple of days, I just... I, I didn't want to... I was embarrassed, I guess, to... Um, to be as fucked up as I was. I remember telling my mom that I was going to, like, withdraw from alcohol. And she, like, handed me a beer, you know, to try to, like, you know, stave off the shakes or whatever. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, like, that's not going to fucking cut it, <laughs> you know? So, like, I chose to... I went... I was sleeping out in the woods behind some chick's house. And, you know, she she would let me stay inside I was sleeping at my other friend's house and um that was that was it it surprised me how normal it was and I was like flirting with the idea of suicide and um just uh, I mean just a I couldn't see the way out I couldn't see you know past my nose I had no options left. I didn't have any... I didn't have any options left. I fell back into a corner. So I... Eventually, I ran out of money. Ran out of drugs. Ran out of booze. And I called my mom. And she picked me up and we went to a detox. And while I was in detox, I was coming off of a bunch of shit. And I still even think that, like... I kind of was, like, schmoozing the detox into giving me, like more stuff than I needed to come off everything like yeah yeah like like way more Valium than I needed way more Subutex than I needed I don't even know if I needed Subutex because I had stopped doing opiates for probably a couple of days it didn't matter though um and I was so I had called my dad right before I was about to step into the detox I knew they were going to take my phone from me I said I said dad you gotta stop bailing me out um, like, I'm, I'm sure he probably said like, you know, what, what, what do you mean? And I probably said, and I say probably because I don't really remember this. I went into detox pretty fucked up, mm-hmm. but uh, probably said something like, you know, I, I think it's really hurt my ability to, uh, to be a man. That like I keep on getting bailed out of mm-hmm. every situation or whatever. And my dad said, okay. That's pretty mature of you to even think that way. Yeah, I I like to think so, but I, I I feel like I always have I would have moments of clarity even while being super intoxicated where I maybe knew it was best for me and um, I certainly wouldn't be able to adhere to those things where I'd be sober and hurting the next day. But um, I was 
sitting in detox and I was I went into detox with the uh, with the idea that I was gonna move back up to Minnesota because like that's where I had um, that's where I had success before yeah. and I found out the rehab that I wanted to go to which is the one I've been to in the past um, they didn't take insurance but it was like a cool five grand to go there so I called my dad up and I was like, hey, Dad, I need five grand to go to rehab. And he said, like, you know, go go pound the sand. You know, like, I'm not going to pay for that for you. And I've, I've, I motherfucked him off the phone and was like, you know, I was really pissed off. And, like, I, I after I cooled down, I remembered that I told him that he shouldn't bail me out anymore. And um, the case manager there had looked up my insurance and saw that um, my insurance was accepted at Black Bear up by the Blue Ridge Mountains in Georgia. And um, it was either that or Palm Springs. And I was like, I hate the heat. I want to move to Georgia. And then I moved here and I was like, holy shit, it's like just as hot over here. But like a nice wet soup. Uh But um, that was the reason I... I came to Georgia. I, I didn't have any. I didn't have any desire to want to move here permanently. I thought I was going to do my thirty days in in treatment and um, come out and move back to Illinois or whatever. And uh, just like any big decision I made in my life, um, I decided I was going to move out here because I had met a girl in rehab. <laughs> Which is like, God, like how much, how, how much more freaking stupid can I get? Um, so, I, uh, you know, I moved out to Atlanta, kind of where she was from, thinking that like yeah, I was gonna be with her and all this shit, and like it didn't take but, didn't take but a month, you know, for all that to dissolve. I never even saw her after treatment, and um, yeah. These uh, rehab is probably not the best place to meet girls. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, because you're not ready, and nobody's, you know, nobody's ready for a relationship at that point. No, and, <laughs> you know, I I felt like because I had already been to treatment so many times, like all the rhetoric that <laughs> was being was being taught there it was something that I already heard before, and there's something to be said about that. There's also something to be said about how I I needed thirty days to kind of get my freaking head dislodged from my ass yeah but um i got bored and i was really hurting hurting for you know someone to make me feel good about myself and i'm sure she probably was too and then you know we got out of treatment and i'm she was the one who thought like probably like oh man i was just trying to like get attention from somebody i'm gonna not participate in that anymore. And I was the one kind of sitting around thinking about what the fuck had gone wrong. Oh. But. Yeah, well, you uh, know. It's, whatever. It's like, see, you're a very smart guy. And, and, and um, I, I feel like the hardest people to get sober are smart people. You know, because we question everything. We try to rearrange everything. We think we can do it this way. You know, or yeah, um, because any any 
counselor worth worth their weight is going to tell you, listen, he's, you probably need to wait a while to get into a relationship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I'm yeah. sure to everybody listening to this, mm-hmm. um, when they hear me speak, they are thinking he's yeah. not nearly as smart as Tim's leading on to be. <laughs> um, but... Oh, no, no, you are very smart, but... I remember, um... I remember, like, when I when I went back into treatment, you know, in June, I was there. I was so desperate. You know, I was so beaten down by all of this that um, I, like, it, it seems bizarre to me now, but I was, like, believing in God or at least talking all this talk about God and spirituality. And, like, I was I was desperate enough to to want to believe in it and now what like seven months later um you know i i question of whether or not god's really there or um you know it's yeah it's not really something i want to get into because you know at, at the end of the day i don't believe in god and um I don't necessarily know if, you know, I, I have trouble sometimes even believing in the efficacy of, of AA, but, um, yesterday in a meeting I was in, somebody had brought up, uh, uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And like, if that's it, then I'm in the right place. Like everything else I can, I realized that I had a lot of beliefs, um, coming into recovery that don't serve me very well now you know the belief that you know somebody who believes in god is inherently weak Mm -hmm. like they need they need something to i don't know give them some amount of feel good uh i don't know the belief that you know you gotta be just just things that don't serve me yeah, yeah, no, I've been all over the place with that, and I and I hear people talk. And to tell you the truth, for me personally, is um, when I just decided that what I believe is the truth, no matter what it is, and I, I just believe I believe because that really is what helps me. Uh-huh. You know, um, but I've been there to where I come in with this gift of desperation, and I'm willing to okay, whatever, whatever you want me to do, whatever, and then the ego comes back, and then I. But, um, yeah, no, I don't, you know, don't want to talk too much about it, but what's an Italian boy tell his mother when he doesn't believe in God? <laughs> I remember, I was, uh, I was getting, I was in confirmation class, getting confirmed to the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I'd gotten in a pretty gnarly argument with my mom, mm-hmm. and I was, I was 15, I was full of piss and vinegar, <laughs> or something, I was full of something, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, I ended up saying like the only reason why I'm gonna get confirmed is because uh, because my relatives are gonna give me a bunch of money afterwards. <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, I, yeah. I I offended her a lot, but um, yeah, yeah, no, no, forgive me, Michael, for I've sinned. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, when was your last confession? <laughs> I did want to ask you about, you, your mom was a music teacher, so yeah. you're a very talented, you know, uh, guitarist that I've seen. It, it, that's why I assume she helped teach you this? Um, I mean, I think she taught me how to, 
how to she taught me to want to learn how to play music um she taught me piano okay um and then she kind of taught me like my campfire chords and the guitar like the shit that a lot of people know how to play mm-hmm. but um actually it was one of her students fathers mm-hmm. who taught me how to play the guitar okay yeah, yeah. so it, it do you do you consider the music to be like therapy to you because i noticed you do like right when you get home you got to play a little before you leave for work you play a little is that like kind of like your meditation almost uh if i if i did anything anywhere remotely near to meditating it would probably be in playing the, the guitar mm-hmm. it helps me center my thoughts it helps me like kind of do something and not have to think for a little bit yeah um i find it to be it was really cathartic to be able to like you know write out my my thoughts my ideas um in like prose form you know trying to write a song about it you know i just you know i i think by adding a pretty melody to um some crappy poetry that I'm writing it helps me feel I don't know it, it, yeah. I'm not sure what it does but you know it, yeah. I feel the most completed I, I feel like I, I, I feel like I can get a, a handle or like put a thumb on, a, on an idea that um that is or a feeling that is complex that like you know I'm sure we all have feelings like you know when you think back to something that you love and like there's like that duality to it you know like like yeah yeah like it makes you feel good but it also makes you feel a little sad or you know just to as one example but I don't know yeah no no I think that's extremely healthy like you can you know clear your mind or express some feelings mm-hmm. and you know of course with um, the podcast I've interviewed Tinsley and I've interviewed Gus that are, yeah. and both of them are big into music yeah. and, and, and you see I was gonna be a musician but it turns out I have no talent <laughs> so well um, talent has very little uh, to do with it I found uh, it's just practice yeah they made me switch classes uh, in the seventh grade I was in band they said uh, I had a deaf ear. Yeah. But literally, I just never practiced like they told me. Yeah, so, you that's, know. What, that's uh, what the issue is. Uh, well, um, yeah, okay, so you talked about you're from Chicago, the, the Windy City. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you've gone back there twice, and you had, and you stayed sober going back there. Um the first time. Oh, oh wait, the, the Kratom incident? Yeah. Okay, but, so the, you, but you had lots of temp- temptations going back home, you know? I mean, I don't know. I was I was hanging out with some people uh, when I went back the first time, and, like, they are smoking weed and drinking and doing blow and that kind of stuff, and they kept on asking me, like, you know, is this all right for you? Like, are you going to be okay? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's more annoying that you keep on asking me. Yeah. And then the second time... I went up there and I already kind of had it in my head. Uh, I remember it was a couple of days before um, I ended up going up to Chicago for Thanksgiving that I was like, I'm going to do Kratom because I know I can get away with it. And uh, I did get away with it. And then I 
I hadn't been doing it for like a week mm-hmm. and I just couldn't sleep and I was I was wondering you know like what it was that was keeping me up at night and I think it was the fact that I was just being deceitful I was being a sneak I was lying to the people that I was living with and I was kind of disrespecting the program that I uh, that I find it so important for me to be in being in a sober house and stuff um, I, I'm sure there was a little part of me that kind of wanted to get kicked out for it mm-hmm. because you know I had, I had been sober long enough where I started to get bored I was like I was looking for something to uh, I was looking for something to just kind of control how I was feeling at least if I used a chemical I, I, I knew how to, how to, or I knew that whatever feeling that I manufactured would be consistent because there's a lot of inconsistency in the way that I feel from, from day to day. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that it was more important to me to be honest mm-hmm. than it was for me to potentially get kicked out of here or um or and to go back home with my tail between my legs or to be homeless in a town that I'm not from, you know, it's just you know. I mean, you did by far, you know, extremely um extremely uh respect what you did by telling on yourself because that's the worst thing you can do is get away with that. You did the right thing. Yeah. I mean, um and then I've seen you kind of, you know, re-engage yourself again. And I'm not, you know, a relapse guy, you know, here's Kratom, you know. Uh, it's some kind of natural stuff. So, and you didn't shoot heroin. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. But I see you going to more meetings and, and reworking the steps with a sponsor and um, being more open to things. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you did it. If you would have not said anything, it would have been... A real, it could have been turned out a whole lot worse for you. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think I would still be here if that was the case. Because I started to get real, real militant about all of this, especially while I was using the kratom. I kind of, I was, I remember, I was trying to like, was running around, kind of saying like, ah, oh, this shit doesn't work. Like, you know, try, almost trying to convince other people of, of that so that. I don't know. It it made it easier for me to. Yeah. Maybe I was trying to justify using. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I. I don't know. Right to, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can definitely relate because I've gone out and relapsed enough times that you know, sometimes we'll try to create a situation, or sometimes we're just trying to convince ourselves so we can go back out to our, you know, lower power. Yeah, you know, I think I think that was I think that was exactly what it was. Yeah. You know, I I was talking with uh, my roommate about, um, you know, our pillow talk at night, just talking about, uh, you know, how there is no God and uh, like, does the program really work? And like, what I thought about, you know, getting out of here, and. Um, that I could just smoke weed or something else like that. I think, and he started to be like, dude, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, 
and I think it, when I eventually kind of came around to the idea, I was like, oh my god, I think I'm just trying to justify, like, relapsing, yeah. basically. And yeah. I think he was like, bingo, you know, that was exactly what I was trying to do. And yeah, that's, that's why it's a we program, we can't yeah. do it alone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's certainly the case. You know, if I, if I was probably alone for like three days, I don't know if I would be able to stay sober. It's, there's a beauty in the, it's, I guess it would kind of like, you know, like if I'm looking out at the world, I have like my field of vision, you know, and like my cone of vision that comes out from my peripherals out to like everything that I can see. And like, that's my perspective perspective but somebody else looking out at from me uh, from the outside at me they can see you know they can see behind me they can see you know I mean it's just like getting a different perspective by having other people to talk to mm-hmm. um, is is I don't know it's, not only is it like special and it's imperative, you know, like to be able to talk to somebody, tell them what I'm feeling and have them sometimes say like, Hey dude, like what the fuck are you even talking about? Like what's going on? You know, like just to have me be able to like, like, like kind of second, second guess my own shit. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, the beauty of, of not just a program but of life is that our views and our opinions they change we're not stuck in a box you know um, so yeah, yeah it's not it's not really important our opinion sometimes you know you know why I really get into the prayer life because it helps to humble me because that's what I need more than anything you know yeah. is that I need to get down on my knees twice a day and and you know, um, and if I believe it, it is true, and 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 I don't have to do all that thinking about it anymore. And, yeah, and that's just me. But um, so so, can you give us any um, advice for young people in recovery, and you know, uh, you're asking the wrong person about <laughs> that. Um, I think. I think if I were to go back in time and maybe talk to myself when I was first coming into this, it would be that like be that it really doesn't matter like what I doesn't matter what I believe or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm I'm gonna have a bunch of ideas about how this doesn't work or it's not gonna work for me or something else like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything as long as I just do what is asked of me to do was suggested with the steps and um, from a sponsor if I just complete those actions it makes the day to day pretty easy you know I think that's I think that's probably really it it's just it's some people can say it way more eloquently than I can but um, it's just performing simple actions and like the whole God thing for me is like it's the biggest hang up is it's sometimes I'll be sitting in a meeting and I hear people talking about God and 
you know, that, like, you know, they're, they ask their higher power this or, like, whatever else. And sometimes I, like, I go into, like, this weird fugue state and I think to myself, like, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is not yeah. going to work for me. And, like, yeah. I've, I've learned to just, like, let myself experience that mm-hmm. and then move past it and understand that, like, people way worse than me have gotten sober with this program, you know? So I think, I don't know. Yeah, plenty of people have gotten sober as ag- ag- atheist or agnostic, and mm-hmm. you know I, I'm you know I'm proud of you that you still do the footwork, because I know other people that like refused to go to meetings anymore just because of that. Yeah, you know I mean it's finding the differences instead of finding the similarities. Yeah, I mean I, so, you know I still like to go and listen to people's experiences with their mm-hmm. higher power. Or just there, you know. It, it, I think broad perspectives equal sound conclusions, you know. So it's like it's good to get a little taste of everything, you know, so that I can piece together um, other people's experiences and uh, for my own, um, or to to build a a worldview that suits me. Yeah. I think that you know. I guess another piece of advice would would be to. Um, and again somebody has probably said this a little more eloquently than I'm about to but um, that you can you can use other people's experiences um, in you know especially in you know in losing things to alcoholism or whatever I can use those experiences to uh and use those people's feelings like you know like how they got divorced or whatever else I can internalize that so that so that I won't let that happen to me or something like that I don't fucking know man. yeah no 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 it's um my father used to tell me that you know um, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others a fool learns on his own yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> so I've been a fool my most of my life, you yeah. know. So, but yeah, so you you're saying you just tell to be open minded. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, do you have any uh, questions or comments? Um, uh, not really. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's funny, man. Uh, you're really a cool guy and I appreciate you being on here and um you know our stories are so similar being the the fifth kid and the baby Uh, kid and uh um and you know parents getting divorced when we were young and um you know I maybe I'm just crazy but but I I I see you know I see a lot of myself in you and, and I and I believe you're gonna get this a lot sooner than me you don't have to wait till you're 48 years old yeah, I, you know, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I, I don't want to get out when I'm 48. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's great. You do the whole deal, man. Uh, I love you, Mike. I love you too, Tom. Thank you so much for yeah, coming man. on. All right, thank you everybody for listening. And that's Eminem, Mike M.